horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. We're so happy you are here. Again, we are just starting to gear up the racing machine, uh, getting the cogs loosened up for for the big races coming down the uh, uh, road to us. Of course, uh, one of them, the Pegasus World Cup, will be coming up. I think we're going to get a lot of talk about that and the Pegasus Invitational and the fantastic card uh, that we'll have to go with it. We'll see if we can't get my man Pete Iello on with us to maybe uh, take a look at all the big races that will be coming up at Gulfstream. And, of course, it's that time of year where the Derby and Oaks points start to add up. And a lot of times it just takes that extra point or two to make the cut to get in the gate for the Oaks of the Derby. We'll find out. Every race counts from here on out. But we won't see any of those this weekend, I'll get a chance a little bit later in this segment to run down what stakes are worth watching because there are a couple preps for the Kentucky Oaks, though we're not assigning points just yet. But these are three-year-old fillies with a lot of upside. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So, John, tell us, who did you get this week? Well, how about a, an Eclipse Award-winning writer by the name of Joe Nevels? Uh, Joe, of course, uh, is the Bloodlines writer for the Pollock Report, and uh, he has kind of morphed into being the Bloodlines expert. He's just a fantastic writer and an unbelievable person, uh, as is his wife, Natalie Voss, another Eclipse Award-winning writer. Um, But uh, so what he's come up with is uh, he's he's come up uh, with a package called The Back Ring, and if anybody knows anything about going to horse sales, the back rings, yeah, sure, you got the inside ring where, you know, you see the people sitting uh, thinking that they're bidding. But a lot of that bidding's going on from the back ring where guys get the last chance to see their horses in the flush. They've probably made up their mind and probably know about where their pocketbook's going to go. But they kind of uh, bid anonymously to uh, either a bid taker back there or uh, to someone that's in the actual arena. But uh, the back ring is uh, now Joe's new column, and it's very interesting. And we are going to go over his five fearless predictions for 2022. They're pretty interesting, but I have to admit, got a hard time disagreeing with his picks. And also joining us fresh off his live podcast covering the card at Sam Houston is none other than Ed DeRosa, who has been no stranger to us here at Winning Ponies. Uh, Ed, uh, you know, he's one of those fallback guys. Um, And uh, so we'll find out what's going to go on there. We might have to extend uh, his. Uh, we'll. Uh, we'll. Uh, <laughs> I've just got a text from Ed saying his car won't start trying to leave work 
and he might not make it. So this could be very interesting. <laughs> Hopefully I can get Joe to go a little bit longer with us. So uh, Ed DeRosa, I hope you get your car started and I hope you're at the phone when we call. But uh, if you're waiting for AAA or somebody to come, it might just jam up this part of the show. But we'll find out. Ed, of course, he's now with Horse Racing Nation, and uh, he does do kind of an intro to Sam Houston, who's back racing live now. And uh, his co-host is Sarah Elbadwi. Going to have to get to know Sarah. I don't know her. And uh, so her and Ed brought us Sam Houston this evening, as I do believe they will be on a weekly basis. And... uh, Sam Houston, interesting. I mean, think about this. Stuart Elliott uh, is currently a leading jock right neck and neck with Rye Eichelberry. Um, He's riding at a 25% clip. And uh, leading trainer, well, right now it's between Carl Bromberg and Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen. So you've got some legitimate players in the saddle and uh, in the shed row training down there at Sam Houston. Now, uh, I they've recently come online. So through March, they'll be running on a Wednesday through Saturday schedule. And then in April, they go to a Friday and Saturday. And in May, they'll go Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Their post time's uh, about... Uh, late afternoon, early evening. So keep an eye out because on Saturdays they go to what would be a 645 post and regular days is a four o'clock post. So that's what's happening to Sam Houston. And we all wish Ed DeRosa best of luck out there with, uh, with, with uh, his car, and we'll see if he answers the phone when we try to call him a little bit later on. But for sure, we're going to have Joe Nevels. All right. Now, um, it, let's uh, the, the races that will be coming up this weekend, again, I'll get to them. But I think perhaps the biggest story of the week, because uh, sad to say it's changed uh, – towards the not-so-good side is Irad Ortiz. They thought he might be out for two weeks with with a knee injury, but now they've looked at it. So uh, it it looks like he actually has a knee fracture. It was an incident at the starting gate. So it looks like now it's going to be three to four weeks for the leading jockey in the country the last three years. And they call you know of course his agent's calling it a small knee fracture of course you're gonna hear his agent but the sad part is it looks like he's gonna miss the pegasus world invitational where he would be riding a horse that perhaps could be the favorite over nick's go life is good three million dollars on the line and irad has to watch from the sidelines. That's got to be tough. Thanks to Marty McGee. Uh, he did a social media post. He was pretty much the first one to report uh, the added recovery time for Ortiz. Uh, they were hoping he'd be back a lot sooner than that. Uh, they even had him named on uh, eight horses uh, this week, um, uh, just yesterday. But that isn't going to happen. So uh, for the jockey that won the last three Eclipse Awards for Outstanding Jockey, uh, it looks like he's going to be watching from the sidelines. I mean, think about 
last year. He, he finished 2021 with 336 wins from 1,400 mounts, which led all jockeys in North America, and he won just shy of $30 million in purse earnings, where he was second to Joel Rosario. So good luck to Irad Ortiz Jr. All right, now while we're talking about the Pegasus races, of course, a big one there will be the Pegasus turf. And it looks like Calumet Farm is going to take one more shot with none other than Channel Cat. Oh, I love and I hate this horse. I won money on him. I've lost a little bit more on him. <laughs> Probably because I did like him. But, uh, but it looks like uh, Channel Cat's going to go one more time. Of course, Nick's go. Uh, who will be racing in the slightly bigger race, the Pegasus World Cup Invitational. He's going to be retiring also. Um, Both of these races are at a mile and an eighth, obviously one main track, one turf. But, uh, you know, uh, when, when, when you're talking about Channel Cat, they really, I love seeing these older horses race on, and they let him race right up. He's now seven years old. He's a son of their top stallion who just passed away, English Channel. If you like the handicap turf horses, that's exactly where you go. Uh, Jack Sisterson will be, you know, turning her back and uh, turning it back. But, you know, last start of his life, uh, and it looks like you're going to be able to get to him for a nice stud fee, 7500 Five hundred dollars uh, to get to uh, uh, the uh, grass-loving channel cat. So this is going to be his swan song on the other card on Pegasus Day. Uh, so while we're on the topic of Pegasus Day, Horse Racing Nation just came out with an interesting story on best speed figures. Not necessarily coming into this race off their last one, but their best speed figures from last year. And heads above, without a doubt, was Nick's go. Of course, we know life is good. Kind of got a slow start. Started out with Baffert and and then uh, has moved to a new barn. Um, and he, he, he's second with a 109, but Nick's go a 113. That was his best buyer last year. Behind them was a, a horse that's a little bit underrated, Stiletto Boy, uh, who pounded out 299 buyers. And uh, just below him are eight rings, Sir Winston, Chess Chief, Superstock, and Endorsed. So uh, these are horses we may see in the Pegasus World Cup Invitational, and those are their speed figures. Nick's go, and life is good, though. Let's face it, that is who has moved to the top. Now, uh, let's talk about another Jackie. How, how about Joel Rosario? He's coming out of his injury, and he starts back tomorrow at Oak Lawn Park. Great for him. Not good for the other riders at Oak Lawn Park. So, uh, again, there's a good chance that uh, he may win the Eclipse Award this year as the country's outstanding jockey. And uh, he's getting a little bit of a late start by two weeks. But nonetheless, Joel Rosario will be there. Uh, he, he was eyeing a single-season North American purse when his mounts earned $32 million. And uh, he's got to come back tomorrow. Happy birthday. He's going to turn out to be 37 years old. He will be celebrating that. But, uh, you know, his, uh, 
his record is phenomenal. He's going to ride regularly at Oaklawn now until early April. Okay, and uh, for somebody that he's only had 28 Oaklawn victories, how about this? His mounts have earned just shy of $5 million. <laughs> Not bad for 28 starters. Now, just a little bit of a background. He's one of those really talented riders in the Dominican Republic. Uh, rode his first winner here in the U.S. in 2006, and he has more than 3,000 career wins. And for somebody that's just going to be celebrating their 37th, he's got a long way to go. Um, He's had uh, 15 Breeders' Cup wins, three Triple Crown races, uh, and his mounts have earned over time over a quarter of a billion, yeah, I said billion, dollars. And you may recall that he won the Dubai World Cup aboard Animal Kingdom, who went on to win the Kentucky Derby. So, um Last year, Rosario led the country in stakes victories with 69, graded stake victories 49, and uh, he will be shopping for his first Eclipse Award. So uh, I've got some more local news, but I may need that a little bit later in the show if uh, Ed DeRosa doesn't get his jump start. <laughs> we'll find out. But in the meantime... Lucky for me and lucky for you, I do have our first guest, none other than Eclipse Award-winning writer Joe Nevels, who uh, currently is uh, with the Pollock Report. So we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to have Eclipse Award-winning writer Joe Nevels. I'm John Engelhart, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com BUSR brings you the best options for Triple Crown season, and now is the time to get in on the action. Bet on the Kentucky Derby with BUSR. Enjoy daily rebates and cash bonuses, including up to a $500 welcome bonus for Winning Ponies listeners. Enter promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, when you sign up at BUSR.com backslash ponies. Again, that's promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, at BUSR.com backslash ponies bet with confidence bet with busr you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john inglehart racing's regular guy the phone lines are open and are toll free 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com 
John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me now, a man who I have known... I'm going to say, I know it's well over a decade, and it might not be two decades. He's not old enough to be that, but uh, none other than Joe Nevels, and uh, I knew at a very young age, not mine, Joe's, that this was a guy that was going places, and he has served me right. And I told people this 15 years ago. I'm like, watch this guy. He's going places. He's got the hunger. He's got the attitude. He's got the professionalism, and he loves the game. With no further ado, that man I'm talking about, Joe Nevels. Well, John, I'm glad to. I'm glad that I lived up to the hype. You've been a very good hype man and photographer for me for a very long time, and I'm always glad to be here. I am. A lot of people don't know this, but I am the personal photographer to two amazing writers. Uh, one is Byron King from The Blood Horse, and the other is Joe Nevels. I'm the only photographer that they allow to take pictures of, and, and I'm so glad to see them displayed proudly when they have to give a photo out to somebody for publication. Thank you, Joe. Oh, yeah. that's your, your work has been featured in a lot of different newspapers that have, you know, that I've had to send in a picture for. So you've, you've, your, your work has gotten around. A lot of eyes have seen your work. Very good. As long as it doesn't land on a post office wall, you're doing well, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Well, Joe, um, kind of help us with your career a little bit because, y- y- as you know, I've watched it very closely. But uh, what's interesting is how you have kind of morphed or specialized in, in becoming, um, I'm going to say, an expert on uh, what's going on in, in the bloodstock game, in pedigrees, in the rhythm of things. Uh, how did you get to that point? How did your interest guide you to that part of the sport? Well, it was more guided for me. Um, you know, like any aspiring turf rider, you move to Kentucky with the hopes of you know, one day riding up the big races and doing sort of the racing end of things. But uh, when I signed on with Thoroughbred Times, they needed someone to cover horse auctions and sort of bloodstock stuff. That was in 2011. So um, that's just kind of where I started with things. And that lasted for 13 months with Thoroughbred Times before they went bankrupt. And then uh, a bunch of us went over to uh, the daily racing forum for what was at the time uh, DRF Breeding, they were sort of expanding their breeding content with a bunch of former Thoroughbred Times people. So, you know, for the next five years, that was kind of my full-time gig was covering the, the blood sock, the auctions, the kind of the nuts and bolts of what creates horses and what sells horses. So really the decision was made for me a long time ago, and I just happened to kind of keep things going from there because that's what keeps the checks coming in. Well, uh, you're doing a great job at the, at the checks uh coming in and I, I will guide everyone now over to the Pollock report uh, you, you should definitely go there because you could spend a whole day there's so many different categories of which for you to glean stories from and they've got excellent writers of course Joe's wife uh, Natalie Voss an Eclipse award winning writer uh, there's just something about Pollock Report that has Joe to me it has a real people feel maybe it's just because I know all the people on the staff but you guys really seem to gel well together 
We do. It's a really good group, and we're very fortunate that we're able to sort of write with our voices. Um, you know, if we identify something that smells funny or is just, you know, is a good story, we're sort of able to because of both the space of having a website, not having to worry about print, you know, word counts and just sort of, yeah. you know, having Ray Pollock trusting his writers enough to, if we believe in something to write at it, like, you know, we can kind of pursue things that others might not necessarily have the opportunity to do. And it's, a, you know, we have a good staff that we all trust each other and we're all pretty well proven that if we find something, we can go after that and produce a good story. So, you know, when the ball's on the tee, you hit, you hit it down the fairway. <laughs> well, uh, you, you've had some hole-in-ones hole uh, along your career, I will say that, Joe. Well, listen, there. I want to tell everybody, uh, when you go to the Pollock Report, keep an eye out for uh, the section called the back ring. Now, I, I tried to explain to our listeners basically what the back ring is. If they go, what the, is this something you put on your finger? Or is this something you put a circle around a sales catalog? Explain to people what you observe in the back ring because a lot of times that's where the action's really taking place and it's hard to tell who's doing what. Exactly. The back ring at an auction is where everyone meets before all the magic happens. This is where people are getting their final look at horses before they're going through the ring. This is where people are talking to consigners before you know getting that last minute information. Uh, this is where people are bidding on horses. You know, you know, a lot of people think that all the bidding happens when the horse is in the ring, like in the pavilion area. But a lot of the action happens behind the ring where people are bidding. And I took that inspiration to uh, create our still fairly new bloodstock newsletter, The Back Ring, where we focus on uh, major bloodstock topics, both nationally and regionally. It's uh, very mobile friendly. You know, over the last couple of years, it's been hard to get out in person with a lot of people because, you know, obvious COVID issues. So it's been harder to hand out paper you know, newsletters, those are very popular around the sales grounds. So we wanted to do something that would be uh, fun and easy to read bloodstock content on your phone. So I've, that's exactly what I've been doing. It's creating bloodstock newsletters that are very visual heavy, very statistic heavy, video heavy, and something that's really fun to look at your phone. You know, you look at a PDF on a phone, you got to zoom in, you got to like scroll around a bunch. It's tough to do. So I created something that you don't have to worry about that. You just scroll down, you look at your pictures, look at video, you read some good content, and hopefully you enjoy yourself. Well, I, I, I certainly do. And, and, and I, I do with the back ring. And uh, I kind of told people that uh, uh, what, what's, what we're going to look at is Joe Neville's five fearless predictions. Boy, you really went out on a limb with your first one that, number one, hit the mischief. <laughs> Hint to mischief will repeat as the leading general sire, but state your case as long as we're, you know, putting a nail in this. Listen, you can't hit the pick five unless you win the first leg of it. And this is probably the surest, this is probably the surest prediction that I have all year. Um, I predicted that into mischief will be the leading general sire of 2022, the same way it was in 2021. I believe the same way he was in 2020 as well. Um, he's just—he's got the pipeline. He's got year after year. He's breeding the best book of mares he ever has, and he's breeding more mares than just about anyone in the nation. So he has this just constantly refreshing group of horses and talented horses, well-bred horses, 
and they keep winning big races. And when you put a lot of really good horses out on the racetrack, they tend to make you a lot of money. And Into Mischief has found this excellent cycle of just keeping building on that year after year after year. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, it, it is amazing. I mean, you open up any graded stakes races and you're liable to see uh, two or possibly three horses with Into Mischief blood in. It'll be interesting down the road. Uh, I'll be interested here in Europe. And um, considering the mares that are and will be coming to him, he's really got potential to be a standout broodmare sire down the road. Oh, 100%. And, you know, as I mentioned, he's covering so many mares per year and putting so many foals on the ground that he's going to have a lot of opportunities to become a very good broodmare sire just because there's going to be a lot of fillies out there. So, you know, some degree of them are going to be good to great runners. Those ones are going to go to the, the into mischief of the next generation. And it's just going to keep sort of piling up on top of each other. What's been interesting with Into Mischief is that he's sort of evolved as his books of mares have gone up in class as well. Um, you know, he kind of had a reputation for being more of a one-turn horse early on. I mean, he's still available for quarter horse matings over the summer, should you so choose really? to do that. But I, I yeah, did not know uh, that, him. Joe. Yes, uh, him and Matoli, both at Spendthrift Farm, are available for quarter horse matings. Uh, they do artificial insemination, so it's not like you bring a quarter horse mare there or anything. But yeah, if you want to breed into mischief to make a quarter horse, they'll do that. Now, Joe, what would that cost me? It's significantly less than a thoroughbred. I can tell you that much. I don't remember the sudsy off the top of my head. I want to say it's somewhere between ten and twenty grand. Um, wow. I don't have the number right in front of me. They send it to a lab in Oklahoma, and they kind of handle everything from that end. But you know, it's that's a, this is that's a completely different conversation for a different day. The world of <laughs> thoroughbred quarter horse crosses is one of the things I geek out about. So it's, I'll be interested to see how I do. I think Matoli's probably better equipped to be the sort of quarter horse sire, given that he has, you know, all of the sprint background. He's definitely built for a stallion that would do well with a quarter horse. But, you know, Intimistress has some good sprinters over the years, too. I mean, look at all the stuff Kameen's been doing. That's, he can definitely go around one turn. But as his uh, books of mares have gotten better and more classically oriented, all of a sudden, he's gone from having horses enter the Derby to having horses win the Derby. You know, a couple of years ago, we had Authentic become his first Derby winner. You know, last year, he had Mandaloon, uh, you know, finish second and potentially get put up to first in the Derby. Um, he's becoming a horse that is a legitimate two-turn horse. And part of that is because he's got the mares that have moved him up as he's moved mares up in the past. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to him down the road, especially since just goes to show a good horse can come from anywhere. His daddy was mm -hmm. an Ohio bred. <laughs> you probably knew that was coming. <laughs> now, you, 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 I your mean, second... that's... go ahead. Oh, no, that's absolutely right. No, Harlan's Holiday was one of the greats for Ohio, the Ohio program. Probably the greatest. Now, amongst Joe's fearless predictions, I was so happy to see number two, and I hope you're right, the North American foal crop will rise in 2023. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell that's, us why and you, you have this positive outlook. Well, 
I don't know how positive it is, but it's something that's, I don't know, it's more optimistic than positive, if that makes any sense, more hopeful, I guess. Last year was such a strong year in the auction market. You know, records going all over the place. Like, I heard the sellers in the later books saying, can't we, like, keep this sale going because this feels so good right now? And if there's one thing that the thoroughbred industry loves to do, it's chase a trend. So (laughs) I'm thinking that because people are seeing so much money being made in the auction market last year, and because the full crop is at a low level that we haven't seen since the 1960s, that we're going to see some mares brought back into production that perhaps had been given a few years off. Perhaps we'll see some race mares that might have gotten another year on the track get retired early to enter the breeding shed because we're going to see breeders and, you know, either new or existing breeders seeing these prices in the auction ring and thinking, well, I want a piece of that and going up, you know, bringing up the full crop a little bit. I'm not expecting a giant spike. Now let's don't get me wrong here. Like I think, I think a raise of one to 2% is realistic. I don't think we're going to see all of a sudden, you know, a 10% spike in mares bread or anything crazy like that. But the mares, the full crop has been on a downward trajectory since the mid two thousands. So any sort of upward potential is more than welcome. I mean, you see field sizes around the world. It's not great. We need supply. And I think that's, I think help is on the way, even if it's just a little bit of help. Well, number three of Joe's fearless uh, five predictions, um, and this one with a little bit of a gamble because there's some nice stallions out there, is that Justify will be the leading freshman sire. I guess it's a combination of numbers and quality, Joe. That's exactly it. Uh, Justify bred at the, he tied for the most mares bred in his debut uh, season at stud. Um, I forget the number off the top of my head, but he tied with uh, Mendelssohn, who also stands at Ashford stud next to justify. So he'll have the numbers and that's one of the sure roads to the top of the freshman sire list. The other one is having the quality and justify being a triple crown winner, of course, bred an absolute murderer's row of marriage in his first book. It was incredibly strong. So, he really doesn't have an excuse to finish anywhere but the top. Um, American Pharaoh was in a very similar position a few years ago when he had his first runners and he bred a ton of mares in his first book and a ton of really, really good mares in his first book. And he ended up being the first crop, the leading freshman sire by earnings. So I think the mix between quality and quantity is going to help justify out a lot here. Um, it's a deep class. It wouldn't absolutely floor me if someone else ended up taking it, but the money's got to be on Justify until its foals prove otherwise. And they've been well-received at auction so far, too. Yes. Well, it would, it would be great. I mean, let's face it. He, he was a headline grabber. He's uh, physically attractive, you know. And, uh, you know, he, he did have the longest career, but, man, he was a star. And it would be really mm-hmm. interesting if he could pass that on to his kids, hopefully along with soundness. Now, your number four prediction, I found this very interesting because as soon as I read the headline, I thought to myself about another stallion, and don't I continue reading your article, and yes, his <laughs> name comes up. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you say that. But number four was that Arrogate 
will rebound from his rough freshman season. Uh, maybe people aren't paying attention out there, but Arrogate is no longer with us. But I think he did. He get get to cover three seasons of Mayors, Joe. I believe it was three. Might have been four, but I know it was at least three. It wasn't very many. Like he just had his first two year old last year, so and he's he'd already died. I think it was three crops actually. Now that we think about it, but he's got a very and they limited the number of mares that he saw every year too. So he had kind of really. A, you know, yeah. So he has sort of a limited opportunity to hit, and he came in with a ton of steam. He got excellent mares. They were received well at auction. They looked really good. They sold well, and they just didn't really turn out to be much for two-year-olds last year. He didn't have any stakes winners. Uh, he finished, I believe, 12th in the freshman sire standing by earnings, yes. And, you know, that's probably, I don't know if I could say it was a worst-case scenario for a first-year season for a stallion with that high of expectations, but you can certainly see it from there. That being said, uh, Arrogate already got his first stakes winner career on January 1st, had a horse win uh, stakes race down at uh, Gulfstream Park on January 1st. And Arrogate is a long, lean horse. He didn't really start running seriously until the summer of his three-year-old campaign. His horses are built a lot like him where they have that long turn to two, two-turn feel. And I really do think that once we get more two-turn races out of them, they're going to stretch out and he'll make up some ground. Whether he's going to catch up with the gun runners and the practical jokes of the world and really be at that top of the class where people thought he was going to be, that still remains to be seen. But I think he's, by the time that we're counting everything up at the end of the year, he's going to be a lot closer to the top than he was at the end of last year. Well, the uh, the, the horse that I did not mention that you did mention, and it's kind of a kind of a breath because you consider the the promotion and the hype that was put into this horse obviously got a good book he's a breeder's cup winner he's track record setter uh and he now stands in the stall where secretariat and bold ruler uh both stood and that horse that joe mentioned is getting into gear was none other than gee have you seen the name anywhere run happy Yeah, that's I've seen a few ads here and there. It's you know that's I've heard of the guy, but yeah, that's it's a very similar. It would if if Arrogate makes the turnaround, it would be a very similar track to what Run Happy has done in his first two years at Stud. Uh, with his freshman crop, after all the hype, you really expected Run Happy to you know do something, and he finished fifteenth on the on the freshman sire list, even lower than Arrogate. He didn't have any stakes winners. And things weren't looking very rosy for him. You know, as a run, as a you know, run happy with champion sprinter, Breeders' Cup sprint winner, you'd kind of expect him to relish the two turns. I mean, the one turn races a little bit early on, and that didn't really happen. But in the second season, as they turned three and started to mature, and really about the same time that run happy matured, you know, he, like Arrogate, did his best running of the summer of his three-year-old season and on. They did some damage. He had a couple grade two winners. I believe Run Happy finished fourth among second crop sires last year by uh, earnings. And he made up a ton of ground on the best in his crop. He is legitimately one that you can mention in the same breath as the top stallions in his class. And it just took a year of turning around and for the right horses to 
figure out what they want to be when they grow up. If Arrogate wants to make that path, that's the roadmap for him. Well, I'm sure Walker Hancock has taken a bit of a breath of reliever because this was kind of run the run, run happy acquisition uh, seemed to be one of the first marks he was making on Claiborne Farm uh, as as the new president. Mm-hmm. And you know we're running into I think he's got and what's helped is. He had the three-year-olds do really well, but he also had some two-year-olds come up, too. Uh, Smile Happy won that uh, two-year-old, big two-year-old race at Churchill Downs. Was it the Iroquois? I mean, he, won, he won a great stakes race at Churchill Downs. So it proved that it, he can get two-year-old runners. It's not just that you have to sit on them for a while, wait for them to percolate into three-year-olds. It's just sometimes they don't run the way that you hope and you get two-year-old runners later and eventually it all comes out in the wash run happy covered big books for his first several seasons so he's going to get a lot of opportunities here and that ultimately might be it sometimes you just kind of have a class that doesn't get going and the next one gets going quicker so we'll kind of see what happens here but run happy is definitely he's put himself in a position to succeed yeah, you know, I mean, for all the effort that uh, Jim McInvale, the owner, has put into it, I'm kind of in their corner and and, and kind of rooting for them, you know, as, as much as I can. Just because, you know, anybody that puts that much money and effort into this business deserves some kind of return, and, and I hope Run mm-hmm. Happy does it. Also, anybody that is a resident of that stall best to be a good stallion <laughs> that's going to be that was hard to live down they should just leave that stall empty for history you know uh, but anyhow just one man's opinion well uh again if you go to back ring there's five categories that joe addresses this week and the fifth one which despite joe thinking that the full crop might come back we're not going to see the results of that full crop for a couple years so joe in your opinion you you think that the auction market as healthy as it's been thank god might cool off a little bit in the year ahead just a little bit and here's why last year was an incredible boost from 2020 and i think those two things are connected i think a lot of people held their money and held their horses for 2020 just to see what the market was going to look like on the other end of this. Yeah. Once we got the vaccine going, once we kind of got a regular sales schedule going, once we kind of realized that things were going to return a little bit back to normal, all of a sudden all these major buyers have a little more in their war chest than they would have under a normal year because they spent the last, the previous year saving up so much money. So you notice a lot of high-end players are buying a lot of horses, buying a lot of high-end horses, and sort of pushing everyone else down a little bit. Um, so all of a sudden, people who would be buying in the middle market of book one are buying in book two, book three, and those are pushing the book two, book three buyers down to books four and five, and so on. So coming into this year, we're going to have to see just how much money they ended up saving from holding their bullets from two years ago. I expect that because the market was so good last year that they probably spent most of what they had in reserves and will be coming into 2022 with what they would normally have, which means that the numbers won't be as sort of feverish as they were in 2021. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're heading to some sort of slump or recession. That just means they'll be down a little bit. 
And if you finish the second best results of all time, you're still having an all time edition of the sale. <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's what we're looking at here. Like numbers are still going to be very, very good. I'm not expecting, you know, doom and gloom and, you know, people on the corner asking for change, but I think we will <laughs> see a little bit of a taking a foot off the pedal from what we saw in last year's just, you know, floor to the floor and let's go with it market. Cause that was insane. I just don't know. I, just, I don't know how you keep up that pace. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I hope you do too for once. But uh, now, just so so we're not talking over anybody's head, because my whole life people have been talking over my head, but that has something to do with my height. Um, <laughs> when you talk about book one, two, three, four, five, kind of explain to our listeners how a horse gets in a certain book and why book one is better than book four. Well, uh, the sales that do this, especially in America, is Keeneland. They have a selection team that looks at every horse that's going to go in a particular sale, and they place them in books based on where they sort of rank in terms of page of pedigree, physical, a little bit of where the seller kind of wants to go, where the seller thinks they'll be best positioned amongst other horses. So... um, Book one is typically your, it's like the first round of the draft. That's your most elite pedigrees. That's your best physicals. These are the ones that you expect to bring the most money during a given sale. Usually it's a shorter session. It's a boutique session where everyone, you know, all of your richest buyers come in. This is where your million dollar horses are sold. Uh, and then book two is sort of the ones that are just under that level, just on the cusp. You know, maybe it's a really well-bred horse with a little bit of a physical thing. Maybe it's a less well-bred horse with a fantastic physical or one that's just, you know, a a perfectly good horse. And then you kind of work your way into the middle markets where, you know, you just sort of work your way down from there until you get to usually book five or six, which are usually the regional program type horses, the ones with, you know, physical conditions that'll require them a little more time to, you know, get themselves right before they're going to be ready to run or ready to breeze for a two-year-old sale or whatever you're looking for. Um, you know, it's just a lot of sort of sorting out horses based on projected value. And that sort of helps people dictate where, helps buyers dictate where they think they'll best, best fit in the market too. Um, if I'm a buyer in New Mexico and I'm going to run in New Mexico, I'm not going to have any chance going up against, you know, the million dollar buyers so I want to find horses that are more in my price range, more in my class range, and that's going to be usually in books four, five, six. So you kind of plan your trip to go out there for books four, five, and six and buy the horses that fit what you need to do. Well, Joe, listen, uh, again, this is this is back ring. Go to the Pollock Report. Now, now, is this going to be a weekly segment or is this just your one and done? So the back ring comes out ahead of every major North American auction. So we'll have 15 total for this year. Uh, the next one's going to be for the phasing February sale. Uh, we promote it on the website. If you subscribe to our email newsletter, um, you get it in your email inbox as soon as it's published. And I post it on the website, post it all over social media. If you follow the Pollock Report, I promise you, you will find the back ring. And if not, come find me and I will take you to the back ring. Um, <laughs> it's back, it's backring.pollockreport.com. It's updated before every sale. Usually there's 
five to eight stories. There's a big lead feature at the beginning of it, um, either me making some sort of predictions on something. We do historical pieces. We do analysis. And then we follow that up with some sort of personality stuff on different people in the Bloodstock community and beyond. Look at some regional programs who have been very good to sponsor things, uh, sort of break down the catalog for each sale. We do a lot of stuff that's Bloodstock related. If you're interested in pedigrees, stallions, breeding, sales, there's all sorts of stuff here. And it's not just the very top of the market, because you know me, John, I'm the Michigan bread claimer. I love the regional markets. I love the stuff that doesn't get the spotlight. So I make sure that the regional programs get their spotlight too. Um, You know, the back ring is for everyone goes through the back ring, whether you're a million dollar horse or whether you're a thousand dollar horse. So I try to make that the case here too. Well, Joe, well, one last thing, and I'll let you go because you've been great with your time, is I just want people to know that uh, Joe gets his hand sturdy in this sport, and uh, he's the owner of two off-the-track thoroughbreds, and I think you found a really good home for your oldest one. Well, uh, the oldest one actually is only a half thoroughbred. She's a thoroughbred Percheron cross named Jitterbug. Uh, My wife, Natalie, has had her for... Jeez, a long time. She just turned 18. She was a feral horse up in Michigan at one point, and uh, Natalie brought her into um, sort of the world of eventing, dressage, jumping things, and she's just uh, gotten along in age. So she's going to, uh, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully go to uh, Central Kentucky Riding for Hope, uh, become a therapy horse. She's in sort of the proving out process right now, making sure that everything's going to uh, work out, that she's going to fit the program and everything. So we don't have anything sort of official yet, but that's in the works. And if everything works out positively, then she'll be helping people in need, which is pretty cool. It's great. It's great. Those are super programs. I worked at one, not worked for one, I volunteered for one for many years, and it's extremely uplifting, but you need the right horse, but it sounds to me yep. like in Natalie's hands, this horse has got nothing but good behavior. 100%. That's, uh, you know, that's, still have to jump through all the hoops, you know, everything's got to make sure but this is a horse that's very capable of doing that without actually jumping because you don't need that for you know small children and such but um you know she'll she, I'm, I'm confident she's going to do very well there that's awesome well we've been talking with eclipse award winner joe nevels uh who uh writes for the pollock report I uh, urge you to go over and, and check his writing out because you just heard his voice. Uh, he, he, he's as cool as a cucumber. He loves what he does and does an outstanding job. Joe Neville, say hi everybody, to everybody at the Pollock Report. I've gotten to know many of them over the years, and I wish you nothing but the best and hope that we get to cross paths. Everybody's in laying low with the COVID thing, but I hope to see your <laughs> smiling face and update my photo log sooner than later yes i gotta get some updates on that so one of these days we gotta make this happen i'm, I'm always glad to chat with you john <laughs> you're the best joe thanks a million say hi to natalie for me and i will be in touch you know that you got it all right that was eclipse award-winning writer joe nevels uh joining us giving his breakdown again it's back ring you can find it the pollock report great stuff really appreciate joe for uh being on for an extended run well we're going to take a quick break here uh we'll see if ed de rose uh got a toe there uh with his car if not 
We got plenty of news and races to look at. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. BUSR brings you the best options for Triple Crown season, and now is the time to get in on the action. Bet on the Kentucky Derby with BUSR. Enjoy daily rebates and cash bonuses, including up to a $500 welcome bonus for Winning Ponies listeners. Enter promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, when you sign up at BUSR.com backslash ponies. Again, that's promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, at BUSR.com backslash ponies bet with confidence bet with busr you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john inglehart racing's regular guy the phone lines are open and are toll free 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right. Well, just an alert. Uh, if you're in the Lexington area and you see a uh, bald-headed man with a racing form in his pocket hitchhiking, pick him up. Please, it's Ed DeRosa, and uh, he needs a ride home, so he would greatly appreciate that. And I appreciate Ed uh, stepping in to to be a guest here, and uh, we'll get him at a later date uh, for sure. Uh, Anyhow, let's take a look at uh, some of the racing we looked at last week, uh, starting out with the uh, Tropical Turf. It was a grade three, 100,000 on the line down at Gulfstream Park, and the winner in there. There at 10 to 1 was Clear Vision. Congratulations to Matthew O'Connor, the young trainer, his first graded stakes win. He's got a four-horse stable, and he reaches in and claims Clear Vision for 25000 Well, came right back at good odds, 9 to 1, in the uh, claiming crown, at Gulfstream Park, which is probably the reason he got claimed up at Belmont, and gave a return on his investment where he finished second in the uh, Claiming Crown 
Emerald. So that was a $95,000 race. So congratulations to Matthew O'Connor. Got it done with this six-year-old gelding, Clear Vision, uh, who uh, held on over the favorite value proposition. And in the third spot, well, was Belgrano. Okay, out at Santa Anita, write this name down, folks, or you may not have to because this filly's going to grab headlines on her own. Under the Stars, an impressive winner of the Santa Ynez Stakes, a grade two, $200,000. Now, this is the time of year. we got to start asking those three-year-old girls to go a little bit longer if they want to get in the Kentucky Oaks. And this is Bob Baffert trainee who's a three-quarter sibling to Bodie Meister, trained by Bob Baffert, was very impressive in the seven furlong race. So Under the Stars is taking those baby steps. She went to the front and stayed game throughout the entire race. Uh, the highly regarded Awake at Midnight. Just missed by a nose in the Jimmy Durante stakes. Uh, uh, was in second. Just couldn't get by under the stars. And in the third spot was uh, Miss Matty B. So that was a look at some of the races we looked at. Also, um, we can say we were there first uh, when we had uh, uh, the director Clint Bentley on. Oh, talking about the the movie Jockey here several weeks ago. Well, since then, the movie Jockey's got nothing but great reviews, probably because of the interview that uh, that I did with Clint. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, it really, if you get a chance, I don't know where or when, because it was in a limited release around the holidays. But I think now that uh, it's getting such great reviews from all kinds of corners uh, that the movie Jackie you may see it out in mainstream uh, for sure it'll pop up somewhere on your screen uh, at home if you perhaps if you want to pay for it first or free later but definitely the movie jockey you want to check that out uh it really was uh, a fantastic interview and it really is a a, a, a fantastic uh, uh movie you you're, you are going to love it the acting everything about it is is fantastic well um Again, no graded stakes races, but we do have race action this weekend for sure. And um, down at uh, Tampa Bay Downs, there's two solid races. Again, no points, but these are three-year-olds, so they're going to you want to keep an eye on them because anything can happen. There's the Pasco at Tampa Bay. That's seven furlongs for for the three-year-olds, and for the three-year-old fillies, the Gasparilla. Again, these races at Tampa Bay Downs. Um, at Gulfstream, we've got uh, the Sunshine Races, the Sunshine Classic. You want to keep an eye out for those. Those will be happening on Saturday with the Sunshine Sprint. And then out west, we got the California Cup Derby and the California Cup Oaks. A big day for the California Breds out on the West Coast. So that's uh, 
10 pounds that I put in a five-pound pack for you, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just fantastic uh, visiting with Joe Nevels, a quality guy and a really intelligent writer. Uh, I I love him. So uh, thank you to Joe. Thank you to my producer, Andrew, for helping me out on this guest-shortened show, keeping me in line. Greatly appreciated. Keep coming back, folks. We love you. And don't forget, our Easy Win Forms had two huge winners at Gulfstream Park just yesterday both of them over $2,000. Easy win forms, winning ponies. I'm John Engelhart. We'll see you at the races. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.